This podcast is presented by SoCalREN, the Southern California Regional Energy Network. We're a collection of local governments that come together to promote energy efficiency programs for residents, businesses, and public agencies. Welcome to Re-Energizing Communities, your connection to conversations about energy efficiency that can help you influence change at home, at work, and in your community. Thanks so much for joining us. In today's episode, our host, Chris Ford, sits down with Jay Kim, Energy Manager for the Colton Joint Unified School District. They discuss the passing of Assembly Bill 841 and how it shaped the School Energy Efficiency Stimulus Program. Jay sheds light on how the program has helped school districts across Southern California as they prepare to reopen. Plus, he shares information on how schools can improve their overall energy efficiency by taking advantage of available resources. Let's get started. Jay, we are very glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. And to get things started, could you tell us a little bit about your school district and what you do in your role as the energy manager there? We're in Southern California near uh, San Bernardino. Um, our student population is about 22,000 students. We are a K through 12 school district and covers about 48 square miles. So we're spread out quite a bit. We have about 28 schools. We have three comprehensive high schools, five middle schools, and a bunch of elementary schools. Well, wow, sounds like that probably makes for a, a busy role as the energy manager for all of those schools. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. We have several different utility companies. For example, half our electricity is with Southern California Edison. And then the other half is with the city of Colton, Colton Public Utilities. I came about three years ago. I worked in several different school districts before. In terms of uh, what I do, I'm in the facilities department. We work on energy efficiency projects. I also collaborate with our maintenance and operations, and we focus on optimizing our building usage. And I also do energy analysis, the sustainability, and I'm trying to get more into education in terms of influencing our kids and uh, showing them the way. Just a quick summary of some of my uh, recent projects or things I'm working on. We have solar at most of our sites now. So basically, what do you do after solar? You have to maintain solar. So solar asset management, working with the crews to keep them clean. I do lighting retrofits. We work on HVAC upgrades, thermostat, lighting control upgrades. We connect it to recycled water at two schools with the local water company infrastructure. I do building analysis. And I also work on rebates and incentives. Our San Bernardino County had a CARES Act matching grant. So we actually got awarded $1.6 million dollars of a matching grant funds for our CARES projects. And we were also awarded um, $141,000 from the State Water Resources Board for water dispensing stations. And we wear a lot of different hats, but it's exciting and very rewarding. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like you stay very busy, that's for sure. So thinking about the past year and the dramatic impact that COVID had on school facility operations, how did you guys try to mitigate energy usage or energy costs during times when your building was unoccupied or reduced occupancy? I'm sure that that's presented some unique challenges. Yeah, I still remember the conversation when my boss came in about like around March 14th and he said, wow, we're, we're shutting down. We're working remotely. And as, a, as an energy manager, you're kind of <laughs> like, uh, you get excited. You're like, what? 
uh, you know, my, uh, you know, my hand, I'm rubbing my hands like, Oh, these opportunities uh, to save some energy. So, I mean, trying to make the best of every situation, of course, Hey, you know what? We're here for the kids. We're here to educate and we're, we're here to go hundred percent, but Hey, if we're going to shut down and work remotely for, you know, we had no idea how long that was going to be. So we, we had opportunity to shut down our HVAC and our lighting controls to, and then pretty amazing in terms of our annual utility budgets, about $4 million. And we were actually able to save about $859,000 in about a year by making sure uh, stuff is turned off and kept off. Pretty cool being able to kind of tighten the belt a little bit for as uh, we have reopening now and we have money uh, in the bank, so to speak, to kind of put back to use instead of just wasting. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's great to have the kind of control infrastructure that allows you to turn down a building's functions when you don't have occupancy or when you only have certain areas occupied for certain portions of the day. I know that's been a challenge for a lot of districts trying to work with older control systems or modify their existing scheduling and set points to try to save energy as much as they can and keep the utility bills down while everybody was doing remote learning. So it sounds like you guys were on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a bunch of Prop 39 money for a couple of years. People used that, utilize that different ways. I think one of the main ways we use, we use $2.5 million of our approximately $6 million on upgrading our thermostats and getting lighting under our exterior lighting under control into our EMS. So I, I think that's just part of future planning and kind of forward thinking. And so I think we're reaping the benefits of, of those projects. They definitely enabled you guys to turn down things at your facilities and start saving energy as soon as you realize that you're going to be in a remote education scenario for a long or indefinite period of time. But on the flip side, they should also hopefully help make it easier to reopen the building. So love to hear about as you guys are preparing to reopen this fall, what are some of those key challenges for the facility staff? And how do you anticipate that reopening procedures are going to affect school energy usage? I think the biggest takeaway in terms of reopening is to make decisions with stakeholders. For example, I'm in the facilities department and coordinating with the HVAC department. You know, we put together a list of 750 HVAC units that they would love to have replaced. And we've got an estimated cost of it can cost about $4 million to do that. But having that conversation as early as possible, get the buy-in like most districts now that we're starting to reopen, teachers are starting to wonder, and teachers union leaders are starting to wonder, why were these decisions made in terms of the type of indoor air quality uh, mitigation, either drinking fountain conversions, and even just types of plexiglass and classroom. I think that's one thing that could all improve on a little more in terms of, can we make those decisions with a representative from the teachers so we can have some perspective from their side? The earlier you get the teachers involved, the less suspicion, because we're at a point where, you know what, you can throw all the engineering out, all the facts, but you can't replace building that emotional equity or getting people involved as early as possible. That kind of relieves a lot of the suspicions. But I think that's something that we're working harder to do. I think that's something that we can improve in terms of processes. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds like the big capital projects, like you mentioned, replacing HVAC equipment and things like that are a little easier and clearer to communicate to stakeholders on paper, essentially. But those operational and procedural changes that you mentioned really require input from different groups besides just you know facility staff and the district's administration. Having the teachers involved, having school administration involved, maybe even parents, I'm sure that that makes the decisions even more complicated. I think that's where understanding 
the culture of your organization is key in terms of finding that sweet spot where we can move forward as a group. Here in Colton, one of the key phrases I hear is, go slow to go fast. That's one of our mantras. Hey, you go too fast, you might have to back up 10 steps Mm -hmm. and get back to zero. I think that's where relationships and communication is key. There's obviously a mountain of work to be done in a pretty short period of time to get facilities ready for reopening. But fortunately, there are a lot of different funding programs available right now for California's public schools. I'd love to get your perspective on how to navigate these different programs and how to prioritize the funding for the more urgent projects that you need to get done to be ready to reopen. Number one, you have to start big like umbrella in terms of the whole school district. Here at Colton, we have a wish list of how money is being spent and requested, all these reopening plays. So, for example, our educational services, they have their wish list of things that they need. We have human resources. We have student services. and We have the superintendent's department. We also have our business services. Having something on paper, it kind of starting big is the best way to start because if you don't know as a whole organization what you have, it's really hard to navigate. We have approximately $69 million of total COVID relief funds for our school districts. Now, that's a lot of money. And so what's going to be allocated to things that we're directly involved in? For example, 15% of that will be allocated for health and safe school facilities, which is about $10 million. Within that $10 million, What's the best way to use those funds? Every organization has different needs, but here in Colton, it's like HVAC, more HVAC and more HVAC. So over here, we have aging units. Oh, they're 15, 20, 25 years old. Now you have this money. We, we made a list that we need $4 million to replace the 750 units that are beyond their lifespan. And this is a perfect time to get those replaced with new units. You know, every school district is different, but for us, we wanted to kind of hit the iron while it's hot, so to speak. So thinking uh, about the, the HVAC focus that you mentioned, that definitely falls in line with the CEC's School Energy Efficiency Stimulus Program, in particular, the School Reopening Ventilation and Energy Efficiency Verification Repair Program, or SURVEVER, that's definitely focused on helping schools reopen safely while meeting the new ventilation requirements to help ensure that indoor air quality is where it needs to be for kids and teachers and staff to return safely. So is Colton Joint USD looking at that funding and considering pursuing it? And what do you see as kind of the strengths and weaknesses for this program? At first, when AB 41 came out, all the school districts were excited. And with every iteration in terms of the finer details, we were realizing that it's a work in progress. It's a competitive funding. So it's like, hey, are you going to do all this work with the possibility of not getting funded? And then if you realize first year's funding is only $275 million for all these school districts in California, the amount of award might be very small. Even in the initial phase, if you're awarded, it's only for HVAC assessment, maintenance, filters, and CO2 sensors. It's a reimbursement program, and they are, they are willing to concede up to 50% up front and then give you the rest if you are awarded. And so, and so for us, do we want to spend a lot of money for assessment? I mean, in terms of maintenance, we got that pretty much covered, mostly in-house. How much work do we want to put in? How many of our resources do we want to put in for maybe low reward? 
uh, compared to the ESSER funding, you know, Elementary and Secondary uh, Educational Act funding, which is a slam dunk. When the first round of CARES Act money came out, there was an artificial deadline that was changed. It was supposed to be the end of December of last year. And we were able to change almost 50 HVAC units instantly without all these hurdles of HVAC assessment, all these things, CO2 sensors, all things that AB841 under the Survivor program that they require. In terms of AB841, the other rounds of funding, they are willing to consider if you have an aging unit that's beyond this useful life, you might not have to do all this assessment. Just apply for it and get funding. I think we're more looking at that in terms of uh, future rounds than maybe this initial round. And one last thing I would like to say is Prop 39 was much better just in terms of the way the program was designed. Prop 39, they already allocated to you a certain dollar amount. And they say, okay, this is how much you, you're, you have. These are the requirements for you to spend in and report back to us. The way the current survivor program is designed, it's you have to apply for you might not get it. Honestly, it's, you probably won't get it because it's based on your income level of your socioeconomic status of your school district. I think the intent of the program is good, but just in terms of if you're not a big whale, then it's going to be slim pickings. Thanks for sharing that. And thinking about those upfront barriers to applying, you know, the program currently doesn't cover the cost of application development. If there are programs or, or services out there that can help cover those costs or support application development, especially for districts that don't have a, a lot of staff or the resources to chase that information down on their own, would you see that as a helping create more access to the program or, or get more, more schools interested in participating? I definitely think so, because one of my concerns about the Survivor program, or AB841, is how detailed is this HVAC assessment? There's a lot of talk about it needs to be done by a qualified professional in terms of checking the boxes of air balancing, how's the airflow and whatnot. Organizations like SoCalRAN, even the, the CCC California Conservation Corps, those kind of resources are definitely helpful based on where you are as a school district in terms of if you don't have a lot of information, and the more help you need. Now, we do have a good baseline of what we have out there in terms of equipment and model numbers, but we probably are looking for more of the engineering support. So if there are some resources for that free engineering in terms of a qualified HVC professional, we could check off the boxes for these applications in terms of, hey, airflow is good. Again, some of the technical information that would be helpful. Uh, so it sounds like you guys are kind of ahead of the curve in a lot of ways in terms of being ready for the more stringent ventilation requirements for reopening this fall. For other districts that maybe haven't, aren't that advanced or don't have those kind of maintenance routines in place, do you see the assessment reports and the CO2 monitoring and filtration install aspect of the survivor program to be important for those districts? Or do you think there's other solutions? I think that is good because Survivor website can download information about what schools qualify because all your schools in a school district might not qualify. For example, the schools that qualify for us are the schools in the city of Bloomington, which is much lower income than schools in a city of Grand Terrace. So I think the first thing is to, if you're a school district, go on the website and there's a screen. You can find your LEA. And you can download information about what schools within your district qualify. And then at that point, you need to decide in terms of uh, how is your budget looking? Do you have the information? I think maybe kind of being more laser focused on 
a couple of schools that are older because if you're going to spend $100,000 getting a base HVAC information on 20 schools, would that be beneficial or would it be more beneficial to have detailed model numbers, sizes, and ages of three schools with air balancing information? You want kind of cast your nets wide or you want to be laser focused on your most needy schools? I think that's a decision you have to make. For us, we're focused on four schools that qualify for the survivor program, and we probably need that more technical information on those four schools. Let's say the cost comes out to $50,000. We might just pick one school to use for the application for the survivor program and just see how it goes. Maybe we don't want to spend $75,000 and with the chance of not getting awarded. So I think there's definitely a risk versus rewards analysis on that or your return on investment. What's worked here in Colton, uh, Unified School District, is doing pilot programs instead of just trying to do some project across the whole district. So you kind of pick and choose. And once again, find out how does your organization like to launch new programs? (laughs) You'd like to do it all across the board or kind of laser focus on a couple of pilots? We like to do pilot projects here. I'd actually love to hear about some of those pilot projects. During COVID, there's been a wide range of HVAC-related filtration, disinfection, sanitization products, um, all entering the market. And I'd love to hear how you guys have kind of screened those products for quality and how effective they are. And then does the energy-intensive nature of some of these products play into how you determine what the best solution is for a given school? My title is energy manager, but all our roles have evolved a bit. Because of COVID, you know, we're definitely like COVID preparedness, reopening. That's all part of everyone's job description. So one of my priorities is to keep energy costs down. But if we need more outdoor air, uh, you know, through the HVAC opening up, hey, we need to open up the economizers for more uh, outside air. We're going to use more energy because of more ventilation, but that serves a greater purpose because the purpose of our whole organization is to educate students and to provide a healthy environment to support that. In terms of energy and building resources, you know, of course, we want to keep those down, but you got to know when it's being used properly. For example, that $865,000 that we saved during shutdown with reopening, we're probably going to use that, but it's for the right purpose. In terms of reopening, one of the things that we always do in our facilities department is we always test out things in our office first. I mean, you can't do that for everything, but where it's possible and where it makes sense, you can, you know, just money-wise, we always try to test it out ourselves just to see how things taste and feel. Thinking about the other piece of the CS program, the, the SNAP or School Non-Compliant Plumbing Fixture and Appliance Program, it's only 25% of the overall CS funding, but it does offer some support for replacing old piping or water-related appliances. Is that anything you guys are looking at or you feel like you guys have already kind of checked those boxes? As a district, we're not going to participate in that, but I think it is a great program. The biggest barrier to entry and participating on the plumbing side is the, the auditing, like you need to have an audit of what plumbing fixtures need replacement, where are they located? So once again, that's a great place for some resources in terms of auditing. Because the funding is 25% of the program and in terms of the man hours it would take us to get that information, we're like, you know what, let's just focus on the big ones. You know, if we have time, 
you know, maybe, but, you know, once again, every school district is different. If you're a school district out there and you have the resources within your district to have these audits done by your, either your custodial staff or maintenance and operations staff, you know, that's great. But the nature of the program is competitive. So do you want to spend all these man hours on getting these audits done to make a list with the possibility of not being awarded? That's a little bit discouraging, but if there's free resources, either with SoCal Ren or maybe California Conservation Corps, you can do these kind of really easy, low-hanging fruit audits that would be helpful. That upfront investment of time and potentially consultant costs is definitely a barrier for a lot of agencies in participating in this type of program and other types of funding sources as well. And something that the SoCal Ren public agency programs are, are actively looking into how we can try to help bridge that gap for agencies when they're eligible for our services. Six months down the road, once operations are somewhat back to normal, what are some strategies that you are targeting for keeping your district's energy costs down? Could organizations like the CEC, the California Energy Commission, or ASHRAE, the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers, play a role? I think the biggest catalyst for maintaining or getting a hold of energy costs is going to be, of course, HVAC. You know, HVAC is, in terms of electricity usage, is 60 to 75% of our, our, our electricity costs. Now, as we get into the summer months, in our school districts, most of our HVAC units are not going to be able to provide cooling at 74 or 72 degrees if the outside economizer is open 80 to 100%. That's where there's going to have to be conversations at that point, the CDC and ASHRAE will provide some a midpoint in terms of we don't have to have outside air open 100% as more their, their recommendations as much as possible, but bring it down to a reasonable level so that it, it does provide occupants with 74 degree temperatures. So CalRAN is actually perfectly positioned for those conversations because SoCalRAN has the technical engineering side. As reopening happens, people are like, is my air clean? Am I going to catch COVID? Are the kids safe? I mean, that, that's the big battle. Everyone wants different things to make sure that they feel safe, to make sure like they feel taken care of. And you know, they want a part in how the district spent their money in terms of providing you know, great indoor air quality. So all that to say, it's very complicated, but I think definitely organizational communication, conflict resolution and kind of planning, I think, honestly, it's going to be a a continued work in progress. I think that's a a great point that it's going to take a while for some of these issues and these differences that come up to be resolved over the course of the first full year back for a lot of districts. Communication, transparency, and those kind of things are even more important now as resources are being deployed in, in a huge way, reopening. It requires patience, but the amount of patience that you receive is based on how much equity you have built. So in every organization, especially school districts, it's like every day I'm building trust, I'm building equity by serving and working together with my coworkers. And one of the great things about our school district from the top down was, you know, building equity, social equity, relational equity. We are reaping what we've sown in terms of working in an organization. I think that that applies across the board. That's even more emphasized now to keep investing in other people, to keep building that equity because I'm going to need it. You're going to need it. 
Thank you, Jay. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and sharing your insights about energy efficiency and the resources available to help schools prepare to reopen across Southern California. Remember that reducing your energy use today means securing a safer, more affordable, and sustainable tomorrow. For more information on energy efficiency opportunities that can help you save energy and money, visit SoCalREM.org or call 877-785-2237.